now the podcast starts. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to the first episode of the second series of And Now the Podcast Starts. Now, if you've never heard this podcast before, firstly, welcome. Uh, On this podcast, we talk about horror, sometimes we talk about other things, and sometimes we swear. If you have been listening to this podcast in the past, well, welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us. And you'll probably recognise that I used to have a rather longer spiel, which I'd say at the start of every episode, but that basically sums it up. We talk about horror, we talk about other things, and we swear. I am T.D. Velasquez, but you, dear listener, can call me Dan. And there are a number of other hosts on this show, It's just me for right now, but later in this episode, you'll hear the delightful Ian Winston, our other co-hosts, Kirsty Warrow, Dr. Stella Gaynor, and Howard Whittock, will be reappearing in subsequent weeks. I like to think that the start of the new series, our second series, is a, a little bit like the second season of a popular drama show on TV, where... For the first few episodes, they'll deal with individual characters leading their separate existences before the whole cast is reunited a little bit later on into the run, just to keep you all in suspense, you know. Now, the reason we've chosen this moment to relaunch the podcast is, well, generally because it's nearly October, and specifically because it's nearly Grimfest. And that's going to be the theme of this episode. Uh, Myself and Ian will be interviewing some of the filmmakers behind some of the movies to be included in this year's Grimfest. We've covered the previous two festivals on this podcast. If you go back along our podcast feed, you'll find those episodes. We're big fans of the festival and I'll give more details in a moment of what's coming up. So we've had the summer off and and most of the spring and we're actually relaunching as intended at, at this time of year but it's ended up being quite a fraught time for a lot of us. There's quite a lot of family health issues being experienced by a number of the hosts at the moment. On top of that Kirsty's just moved house and Stella's just written a book So basically we've all had lots of things um, taking up our attention and draining our energy at the moment. But, you know, we've stuck with our intention and the podcast is relaunching on schedule. We have been recording material all through the spring and summer. So there's plenty of stuff to come out that's already in the can. But I shall aim that at least some of us are also here every week to comment on news in the horror world and and to catch up with your good self we've also been building our patreon page um, over the summer this is at patreon.com forward slash and now podcast um, for a modest sum anybody who signs up to this page can hear material that we record in advance weeks sometimes months in advance of its release on the podcast feed and sometimes special exclusive material as well if you go to that page 
currently, which will be linked in the show notes for this episode. You'll find several items already there. So there's a number of uh, installments of the Bag of Death, uh, myself and Howard's unplanned dive into a selection of any and all English language horror films that we've seen. We like to do that every week. That feature will be coming back in upcoming episodes, but you can listen to it right now if you go to the Patreon page. Also, there's an episode about dog soldiers that Kirsty, Stella and Ian and I all recorded. And there is the final instalment for the moment in our long-running series of Halloween franchise retrospective reviews where myself and Howard and Ian and Spider Dan, our semi-regular Halloween collaborator, uh, discuss the 2018 Halloween film. Of course, there is going to be a new Halloween film released in just a few weeks, and we'll be reviewing that too. So this item won't be our final Halloween review for very long, but as it stands, it is, and it's there to listen to. Um, There's also an exclusive... Um, item on the Patreon feed at the moment, which is, or rather, it's not there yet, but it will be in the very near future. It's a video Zoom interview with the renowned horror author Simon Clark. He and I spend some very enjoyable time discussing the uh, Quatermass stories as written by Nigel Neal and specifically. Um, the scripts and the novelization that he wrote based on those stories, which are available, which were published and are available to read. Um, some of that material is going to find its way into upcoming episodes of the regular podcast, but not all of it. So that's um, that's a really good thing to go seek out. And as we continue to move forward and record new things, uh, more items are going to be constantly added to the Patreon feed and You'll be able to hear things weeks, perhaps months in advance, if you keep an eye on that. Hopefully it will be a nice incentive to contribute something to our ongoing upkeep of this podcast. Anyway, that's enough about that. It's time to get to the main event of this episode. So, in a couple of weeks, on the 7th of October to the 10th, it's going to be Grimfest... Manchester's great annual horror film festival. Well, I say annual horror film festival, it is, but it's also several events throughout the year as well, smaller events and screenings. Um, recently, they did a great Wes Craven Day event where they showed loads of Wes Craven films in one day uh, at the Stockport Plaza. Um, th- there's loads of great stuff they organise, but the main thing that they do is the uh, four-day festival every year. Now, last year we covered it, even though technically it didn't happen live. It was an online event due to the COVID lockdown. Everybody just enjoyed it from their homes. But we were still involved in covering it and interviewing the filmmakers and reviewing a lot of the movies. This year it's returning to a live theatrical footing, but it's also a hybrid festival. If you want to go along to the actual Um, festival in person then it's from the 7th to the 10th of October at the Odeon Great Northern in Manchester which has been Grimfest's home for a number of years now however if you're still a little bit wary of mixing with large numbers of people like I am to be honest 
then a week later, on the 14th to the 17th of October, the same programme of movies will be available as an online event. And you can get tickets and access to either of these things through the Grimfest website. I'll put a link to that website in the show notes. In this episode of our podcast, we're going to be covering three of the films that are going to be included in the festival this year. Um, Ian and I have interviewed a number of the filmmakers, both separately and together. And you're going to hear from the teams behind three specific movies. So then, to the first of our feature interviews for this episode... This interview is going to be about an American film called Night at the Eagle Inn. Now I have to be honest and say I haven't seen it, but Ian did, and Ian had the pleasure of interviewing via Zoom the co-writer and director Eric Blomquist and the two main stars of the movie, Amelia Dudley and Taylor Turner. So I'll hand over to those to talk about the film, and first, to get you in the mood, uh, here's a clip from the movie. 357 miles outside of Philadelphia. 29 degrees Fahrenheit and one car in the lot. Ours. Do we have a reservation or...? No. Uh, their website's stuck in like 2003, and so they're obviously not on Expedia either. How do we know that this place is still running? I called ahead. The old guy on the other end said that they were walk-in only. Afternoon, folks. Well, you look exactly like I thought you would. Searching for a place to rest your head? Wow, you are really horny for this vibe. He's quite the comedian, isn't he? Please excuse my brother. Yes. Um, two rooms, one night. Ah, uh, ah. Uh, unfortunately, we've only got the one. But I'm happy to say it's sweet, and I'll certainly give you the upgrade. Free of charge. So does that mean, like, breakfast in bed? Ah, uh, we offer all the amenities. Would you both be so kind as to sign the guest book? Eagle Inn Tradition. Sure. Cool. Good to feel connected. Those who came before you. Yeah, totally. Don't you think? Mm-hmm. So, uh, congratulations on Night at Eagle Inn. Um, just to uh, just to sort of um, go back to the beginning, then. Um, how did it come about? Um, you guys have worked together, the three of you, on um, on Cobblestone Corridor. I see from uh, from having a good look on uh, IMDb. Um, is that was that was that the show you kind of met on? It was, yeah. We we met on that uh, coming up on six years in that, guys. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> and we've been pals. We've been pals ever since, and we like to work together and like to you know be creative together. And in the middle of the pandemic, we were trying to make these, and still are. I mean, I'm going to carry this torch forward. Be as creative as we can. Uh, even when we don't have uh, many resources at our disposal. So we had access to this amazing location and it was an opportunity for us to all work together again. So it was written around sensibilities and, and desires to showcase in unique and exciting ways. Um, and in a genre that we were all kind of drawn to and we, we kind of built the whole thing 
together and you know to, to be creative in the midst of the happenings yeah. or what yeah no it's it's it's, uh, it's cool um just just for because obviously this is a it's a podcast but it'll be for, primarily for uk people um it's, where, where does cobblestone corridor go out or where did it go out was it a? It was. It was on PBS. It was. It came out on a, the Connecticut PBS. And then it got syndicated to hundreds of PBSs around the country. Um, and I, I don't know if people across the ponds know PBS. I guess is the closest thing we have to an American equivalent to BBC. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's it's ish that. Yeah, yeah. Some Americans are always surprised when they go, "What's your PBS?" And you go, "It's the BBC." It's <laughs> <laughs> PBS, but huge, <laughs> and it was your main broadcaster. But um, but yeah, but it's um, so so. I was one of the first things I was going to ask was the um, was the the location looks great. I mean, whereabouts is that? Was it really as cold as it looked? It was Were you guys acting cold? <laughs> no, no, it was. It was colder. Uh, it Taylor, Taylor, Taylor in particular had the worst of it uh, in a scene that we were doing in uh, the bar at about the halfway point in the movie. We were inside, the heat had been broken, uh, and it was legitimately 39 degrees in the room. Uh, and Bo, who's playing a uh, hunky maintenance man, is in short sleeves, and everyone's just like between takes going like, fuck! Fuck, fuck, action. Hey, so yeah. Yeah, well, you know what I mean? <laughs> so you're like taking off big coats in between takes. <laughs> I didn't bring a warm enough coat. I, I I definitely fucked myself on that one. I remember we said this on the way up. You're like, I don't know why I didn't bring a warmer coat. But I, I didn't realize how cold it would be until I got there. But they had a, um, the sauna in the hotel was still operational and it was like right down the hall. So in between setups, we were like sprinting into the sauna and like cramming in there for like five minutes at a time. And like, all right, let's do the next one. So we would like run out. Like, hey, did you not, did you not, could you not write a sauna scene? <laughs> oh, very briefly. Uh, we have a quick thing. Um, but that was, that was like the discovery of the thing, right? Was that you, Peter, who discovered that, that it was yeah. working? Taylor, was it you or Peter who figured out? I think that? it was Peter or the gaffer. <laughs> he like come, he like comes back to the set looking fresh. And he's like, guys, the, the sauna's working. Bro, you know the sauna's working, bro. And we were like, what? It's like throwing water yeah. on a hot coal. It's a great impression. That's what he sounds like. <laughs> he's from California. He's like, hey man, yeah. So we're gonna do this. I'm in the sauna. Yeah, it's great. Love Peter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, where, where, where in the states was it? I take it was the states. It wasn't. It was in Vermont, north, northeast. Oh right, during uh, England, near the Canadian border. Yeah, I was going to say, like that's 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 Bernie Sanders' country, isn't it? Is it? Yes, exactly. yes, it is. That's right. He, 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 he cameos in one of the TV. No, he was in the You know, we tried. Yeah, just him with the mittens inside of the camera. <laughs> And the and the coat. That's how we should the extended version. Yeah, Taylor, he had he had your coat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um so uh so so you so you basically this this was this came out of uh I can't believe because it was it's a year ago. I didn't I, I watched your movie for Grimfest last year and we never we never quite got together as a, to interview you. Um I can't believe it's like another festival that's in yeah. similar situations, um, you know, living on Zoom for our second year. So, I mean, th this this was basically, th this was a project that you went, right, we're going to make this in under lockdown conditions. 
Yeah. Uh, with with the facilities we've got, with the resources we've got to hand. Yeah, um, we, we, we really were motivated to, there's this dichotomy because there was, you know, for six months of the pandemic, it was recalibrating what it is to exist as an artist without being able to create, which, you know, different people went through different things with that. Um, but then we kind of got re-energized and motivated and we're like, no, we want to come out of the pandemic with creative projects that we're proud of, that we're doing on our terms. Uh, and this was one of those. And that was really freeing and, and gratifying to be able to do that. So we shot a movie in Vermont in September. The inn was adjacent to it. We toured it and we ended up writing it around it um, over the next you know, like month and Taylor and Amelia were getting little pages as it went and we were talking about it and they played twins in the cobblestone corridor and now they're playing uh, a different kind of twin in this movie, um, mm -hmm. still the creepy edge. Uh, and that was just kind of a fun thing to, uh, to do. And uh, that's, that's how that came about is, is what can we do and what would be fun for us? Yeah. What so it's a Taylor and Amelia, you're not genuinely brother and sister, are you? You've just no. No. <laughs> no. We have tried to convince people at bars after the cobblestone quarter wrapped. We would go to. We would meet up and we would. We convinced I think a couple of people here and there that we were twins. Yeah. And like we would mess up the story about like how old we were, or where we were from, because we like obviously didn't like plan any of it. But we we're just like, yeah, we're twins, and people were like, yeah, I see that. Totally, you guys <laughs> totally have the like. Yeah, so, I mean, it was, like I people people on cobblestone sometimes would be like surprised that we weren't related at all like that we that we had not met each other before that project um <laughs> even though we went to the same uh cool. the same school uh, yeah. we didn't know each other before um all oh, right it's um <laughs> it's weird and now uh not very often people get cast as siblings like in different separate projects and now you are so, so, that, was so sort of, that was sort of the fun of it i was like guys want to play twins again I was like, can I dye my hair blonde? And I'm like, I require it. And then, <laughs> and then I was like, Amelia, you want to dye your hair black? And she's like, yeah, my agents have been asking me for years. So <laughs> I was going to say it, pictures of you, Amelia. Give you've the got, people what they want. Do you, normally go, do you normally have blonde hair? Or was that just uh, I did for a very for... long time. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I did for, for many, many years. My, my you know, natural hair color is more on the blonde side of things. But then um, I liked this, so I've kept it. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's cool. I can't believe I'm doing that thing of talking to talking to the woman on the cast about her looks and no one else but uh I no, no, no. <laughs> was a blonde hair taylor came up with taylor's hair. hair so we talked about taylor's looks first the blonde like the blonde has so much upkeep i had so many different kinds of shampoo i got terrible dandruff because like it like the bleach just kills your scalp and i was like it looks fucking sick but it's just not sustainable and it's such a specific look whereas i feel like the dark hair is still pretty like you know, it, it, I think. Were you, a, were you a Buffy fan as a child? What? There's a little bit of spike. Oh, I, I, so I'm a bad horror fan. I've oh, no. seen, like, just, just, just that, that, sort of, no, that sort of, that sort of Billy Idol that thing that sort of went into, uh, that went into Spike uh, in Buffy. Mm -hmm. um, you, should, you should check him out. It's a compliment. But, uh, <laughs> taking it as such. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, what what um so Eric Eric you we we know you for making quite a few horror movies but you don't just make horror do you you're, you're involved in theatre 
Um, yeah, yeah. We, we, we all, I think we all have theater roots here. And I think that kind of informs why we work so well together as well is there's this kind of, I don't know, rehearsal room kind of play that we bring to everything that we do. And, and we're all, um, I don't know, I think we all enjoy, enjoy, who's calling me? One second, sorry. I raised that in the interview. Uh, we all like enjoy, you know, sinking into good text and, 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 you know, responding and changing things as we go. So I think that that's, we, we, we yeah. rely on that. Yeah. Because, because one of the, one of the things they often say is a lot of British and Australian and New Zealand actors do really well in Hollywood, et cetera, because of the yeah, things yeah, yeah. being such a big thing. I mean, you, you spent time in the UK as well. Is that right, Eric? Yeah, I, I lived there for three and a half months uh, doing a semester um, in London. Yeah, which was, I you know, I think also informs my sensibilities in ways I probably can't verbalize, but certainly is a formative thing for me. Yeah, yeah. So, so how how much of this was uh, how much of this was on the page, and how much um, how much was it was an element of uh, improvisation? Uh, there was. I think there was in everything. You- yeah, they were pretty explicitly scripted, but there's improvisation. I think everything that we do, and Taylor, you can speak to the little parentheticals. <laughs> yeah, we had a couple. I mean, Eric is very much an actor's director and knows how to speak because he has a theater and acting background. We all have sort of a, a shared language in that sense, and um, we have. There were you know plenty of moments in the script where you know, with a lot of like Spencer's little asides, it was just like the line just said like Taylor specific witticism here about X, Y, or Z. And so then like when we were filming, I would just sort of come up with something and we work, would workshop it. And um, we were sort of able to wear some different hats in that sense. Amelia had has um, fight choreography experience. So like for the climax of the movie, she got to step in and sort of like offer her expertise on like how these like more combative moments in the film should work. I'm sure you could like speak to that and well, I mean, the, the, you know, it's, I'm, I'm probably going to sound like a broken record here with um, coming from that theater background. There's, um, you, you put a lot of trust in the ensemble of people that you're working with. And, um, and there's a certain freedom and um, sense of exploration that I think comes from having that background um, where we were all really finding what this was going to be together, um, building off of what's on the page to make it feel like a really full um, and fully realized world. Um, And I think, you know, having the flexibility to do that um, is what kind of filled in, um, filled in some of those, those gaps, just having that, ability to improvise and explore and really bring ourselves. And these are the, these are the kind of people I like to work with and it's why we work together so frequently is because there is that trust and I, I love everybody having their their moments and time to shine. Um, uh, I'm popular today, huh? Okay, uh, moments and time to shine. But um, I hope you heard my phone ringing. I'm just not saying I'm popular. That's that's what I meant. Uh, <laughs> moment, 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 <laughs> we heard you Taylor. <laughs> great don't worry great well also sorry about that moments in time to shine but at the end of the day I, I like that we are a collective as well and that we there's there's this give and take and push and pull and that you know when we're in performance that w- the performers and creatives that we're working with are very generous of time and ideas and skill to better what everybody else is doing um 
And I, I just think that that makes these relationships and these places feel very lived in and authentic and something that people recognize, um, as, 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 you know, and, and relate to. Yeah, I, th- I think that's why um, it's uh, it gets under your skin. This uh, it's it, it feel it feels like a lived in a very lived in real place, and it kind of with the cold and the fear, it does feel it just feel very real. I mean, how much how much of an art department did you have? Um, in terms of uh, what was, what was the hotel ready? It, it was like pretty that. plug and it was it was pretty plug and chug. We put a we put yeah. a couple of things up. I you know I had a I had a friend and who does prop master like print up a fake label for Amelia's pills and uh, you know we scavenged for some props and stuff before we came up but a lot of it was like you know run down to that room that comforter works better here you know move these towels to this side whatever and we were very fortunate that the inn hadn't been closed for decades it had been closed for a year or two um or a few years but they bring it back every so often so uh there was stuff there for us which inspired the writing inspired the performances but also allowed us to have the freedom to do this very very small without it looking uh tiny yeah no no it's um yeah it's uh it's it's one of the uh one of the uh things you do with low budget is is uh run with what you got and don't overstretch yourself because because it looks yeah. i mean the, the 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 um sort of horror elements you've got in there as well with the blood and the what do you call we call them standing knives what do you call those knives is it box knives Oh yeah, yeah, the box cutter. Yeah, 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 yeah. box cutter. That's right. Yeah, we call them Stanley knives because yeah. that's the make. But yeah, yeah, but yeah, um, yeah, just just that horrible scene. I don't want to spoil. It's quite hard to talk about this in the uh, without spoiling it too much, isn't it? Because it's it's best if most things we just sort of stick with the setup, which is two tw- two will- two grown up twins go to a hotel and shit happens. Without I will say spoiling. the way we do that. I'll say the way we do that scene, which is approximately the sixty-one and a half minute mark of the movie, uh, was a very was an exercise. <laughs> was an exercise in ensemble building based on like we want it to be visceral, but what can we show and how do we show it? So you know, someone chimes in the idea about an angle, and then Amelia's like, "Let the arm be like this," and we shoot it like this, and we use the prop in this way. So it really, I and I'm really happy with how that moment looks. I think it's a unique way of telling, of doing that specific gag. Um, yeah. Anyway. I'm yeah, really no, no, no. I was gonna. That was gonna bring me on to uh, Greg Schwears, who's not an actor I've I've come across before, but he was. Uh, I mean, I can almost <laughs> believe you said, oh, when we when we got the hotel, yeah, there was a guy there. <laughs> he came yeah. to the hotel because uh, he, he he doesn't he doesn't look it on IMDb. He doesn't look like awful and creepy, but he really really played the part really well. <laughs> I'm sure he's lovely in real life, but um, what what was he like to work? I with? delight. <laughs> I delight. He, I, so I had worked with him before. Um, Taylor and Bo had worked together. Taylor and Amelia had worked together. Amelia, I, had you met Bo before this? No? I had not met Bo or Greg. Greg was the one who had never met anybody in the cast except for me because I directed him in a play three years ago. Mm-hmm. And he had done something similar. And I was like, we can push this harder. So I brought him into this. And he <laughs> he actually lived nearby in Vermont. He knew that we were shooting something there two months ago. And he's like, reminded me that he had a house there. And I said, great. Perfect for a small little movie. We'll write a part around you. So we were like, so as we were developing this, he we, we were like, how far can we push this? And he's like, you know, I, you know, do you want an accent? And I was like, sure, I'm just throwing a. Like, the accent work is so let's on just, point. Let's just throw in a, 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 a crazy New England. Accent. Yeah. Uh, 
just I don't know that. I'll let it rise, Mr. Moss. Bruce Taylor's demented pepper Trump spokesperson line, and yeah. you know when when we started doing it, I was like, oh my god, or Taylor and Amelia, you're gonna think it's like too much and like because uh, to me it was like perfect it made so much sense that it was just so like who the hell is this obvious ass villain um but tell me they were like but but that feeds into the way that they approach the scenes where they're just so knowing about this they they, they share these glances like yeah here's the creepy innkeeper like they know and i think yeah. that feeds into their dynamic as well and greg yeah, is that's, also i thought that was really about. smart yeah sorry yeah no no, no i'll i'll, I'll yeah uh, no, i was just saying i thought that was one of the really smart things of the uh, of the script was you obviously if you set it in a hotel everyone's thinking the shining so you reference the shining early on and you and more than that you have the characters living in a world in which they know about horror movies you, you either yeah. you either go these characters never seen a horror movie in their life or these characters live in our world and and i think it's really good the way they're sort of thank you sleepwalking yeah, no, and I, and that's they're, they're, walking, they're walking almost willingly into the trap yeah. And, and we watch these movies because we like tropes. So I just think the execution has to be specific, which goes yeah. to the right thing. I've seen Creepy Innkeeper before, but I think the way he does it, he has these weird, very specific pieces of accent work and looks and gestures. And I think that that is what makes him not just your run-of-the-mill innkeeper guy, which I think is why it worked so well for, for Taylor and Amelia to play off of, because they gave him, <laughs> he gave him such like interesting tidbits to grab onto. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're with yeah. a lifetime, truly. He's, it's so iconic. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, uh, he's, <laughs> he's, he's most excellent. He really is. But he's like, no, go I, big or go home, and he's not going home. So, no. <laughs> there was one note, like, in, I think near the, near the end of the film where he's like really losing it, and Eric was like, let's do one more take. And he just looks at Greg and he was like, fire breathing dragon. And Greg's like, all right, let's do it. And he's like, no, no, like just like losing his shit. And it just like, it worked so well. Yeah, he, he probably has like three or four tapes where he's either like yelling for an extended period of time, like crazy improvs, or he's babbling about some like amenities that the hotel has. And I think when we put out the DVD, we're going to do the unedited takes where he literally just goes for seven minutes, just like talking and screaming and ad-libbing. And I'm like, <laughs> like oh. he's giving it all on the table. And I'm like, I, I feel like I'm like, getting into here like, Greg. I was, I was going to say, getting, getting, ahead, getting ahead of myself, but talking DVD extras. But um, this, is, uh, this is a movie that's, I mean, have you only just finished it? Have you literally just finished editing it? Oh, it's, it's been at how many festivals now? Just the one? or uh, it's, it's, It just played at Popcorn Frights. We're going to really start doing more uh, this month and next. Uh, yeah. And then it'll be, it'll be on uh, VOD in America on November 2nd and hopefully across the pond soon after. Cool, cool. Yeah, because I, I write for VOD um website as well so i'm uh and various other things so it's always good to put it on the podcast and then see where else it can go um kind of thing but um but, but before before we wrap up i just i just wanted to uh just one thing I, that it's, it's an area that hardly ever gets mentioned by people but just the music's amazing um mm. by and i cannot say the guy's name guillaume amfu they're so close. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no, but um just yeah, I mean you've you've worked with him on um on on last year last year's Grimfest showing from you 10 minutes to midnight, but also Cobblestone Corridor. Um is that where you know him from as well? Is that the uh 
Yeah, he's. I did this uh, concept trailer for a future film we're still trying to do back in 2013. Um, and we had used one of his tracks. It's just like a music track in the thing. And he somehow found it and commented on the Facebook post and said, that's one of mine. And I said, oh my God, that's awesome. Thanks for you know making this awesome. And he goes, let me know if you have any future stuff. And we just got to chatting and we, we vibed really well. And he's worked with us on a bunch of stuff. And I just, every time I've gotten a, an email that you know a new track has been uploaded, it's like Christmas morning. It's, it's he's just, it's a really cool give and take. Um, and I just think it's so vitally important for something like this that it elevates and highlights the existing material. And sonically, Amelia's like, I need to see this movie. Uh, sonically, <laughs> like it just... Uh, oh, Amelia, have you not I seen know, the movie? Taylor, you, Taylor, you I haven't see seen it yet. I mean, oh, we wow. went I was, it yet. Well, I've, got, I've got a screen but, I mean, Taylor, when you saw it the first time, it, like, <laughs> it, it hits, right? It's oh, really it, cool. Oh, it hits. I was like the... Because I, I, I knew the story and I knew kind of how it was going to look and how it was going to feel, but like the we music there. was like <laughs> keeping me like, oh, like leaning in like, oh shit, like what's what's going to happen next in the way that it, like Eric said, it just elevates it and helps mm -hmm. really flesh out the the world. And it's so befitting in the space and the story. And yeah, Guillaume yeah. is just Yeah, it's really, it's really, it's really oppressive and, 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 you know, which is a good thing in the case of this movie. It's oppressive soundtrack and and also not obvious as well. It's not like, oh, here's a twinkly piano to, for a scary movie. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, we, wanted, it's, we wanted it. There, there were like three distinct acts in this movie. And sonically, we wanted to be like that too. Carson and I, when we were editing it, um, were trying to find... The first act is like akin to The Innkeepers. The second act kind of delves into like it follows... It follows like synthy territory. And yeah. the third act is like full on like thriller, like uh, vacancy style, where it's just kind of like, you know, intrigue, mystery building and I, I think that sonically it supports those three acts and makes them very distinct and I'm just very very grateful to be able to have music like that to be able to just have collaborations like that like I do with Guillaume like I do with Carson like I do with Taylor and Amelia that just kind of feed and nurture the, these creative uh this creative virus that I have yeah yeah no it's uh <laughs> it's uh talking of viruses um so, so what's next for everyone? <laughs> In this um, climate? I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to say at the moment, but what, what general plans have the three of you got going forward? I mean, I noticed, Eric, you, you, IMDb has got stuff that's in the future for you or completed or in production. Um, so so if you just, just tell us a little bit about what's on your slate. So uh, Sticking from the woods is on my slate. Uh, yeah, that was a short, wasn't it? Was that a short? Was that a short a long time ago? We did it. We did, it, we did a ago. short. We did a short version in 2017, and then we went back to the original screenplay and the original story, and and kind of went back to the roots of the story, and then uh, used that to adapted our original story and screenplay into a whole new thing. So we shot that last summer or this summer, like three months ago. And that is going to come out next year. And then Taylor and I are in a Christmas movie that we co-wrote that is coming yeah. out next month. Uh, that is very, very not Night at the Eagle Inn, but also like... <laughs> Total 180. Total but, also, but, also, but also very proud of that too. And oh. I, I think it's going to oh. open us up to a whole new audience. And, uh, well, I was going to say, uh, Christmas on the Carousel, I looked at the picture going, that doesn't look like a horror movie. <laughs> no. Although, although it would be funny if it was. Although maybe, maybe, maybe Taylor, Amelia, Carson, and I will go to that same location and make a horror movie there because if you light it right, those horses can get pretty scary. It was, it was definitely unknown. Horror stuff can be pretty creepy. 
yeah, you play it you right. Could, you could you could have you could be onto something there. Every movie you make, you make you use the same location with the same. You've talked about you you make, talked a, about you make a nighttime version. <laughs> yeah, really interested in the location. Kind of love that idea, yeah. actually. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like 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 when they made this movie of the Prophet, they basically followed um, Lawrence of Arabia around, and they just moved into their sets after they'd gone, and they made <laughs> like a movie about prophet muhammad <laughs> in the, with all these same extras. we'll just take this thank you so much <laughs> oh you just left us here <laughs> yeah 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 so that was a discussion of night at the eagle inn special thanks there to eric blomquist amelia dudley and taylor turner and thanks to ian for conducting the interview And now that movie is going to be showing in the live theatrical version of Grimfest on the 8th of October. That is the Friday. And it will also be included in the virtual version of the festival one week later on Friday the 15th uh, of October. And you can book it via Grimfest.com. So moving on then. We've got a movie coming up that we simply couldn't resist having on our podcast, given the title. It's called When the Screaming Starts. It's a British film, and it's a mockumentary following a serial killer in the making. We're about to talk to the producer Dom Lenoir, the director and co-writer Connor Baru, and the Uh, co-producer and also one of the main actors, Jared Rogers. Now, these guys were all uh, involved in the production of the movie, along with Ed Hartland, who's also the co-writer and the main star of the film. And actually, Dom and Connor will be present, hopefully, at Grimfest itself this year, because they'll be hosting a Q&A after the movie. So I interviewed these guys. I was lucky enough to do that. Um, Ian was meant to be there, but he had to be called away at the last moment. Um, So it's just me for this one. But the movie is showing on Saturday, the 9th of October, in just the live theatrical version of Grimfest. And to get you in the mood, here's a couple of clips from the film before I'll hand over to my past self talking to the guys over Zoom about when the screaming starts. I'm Norman Graysmith, a two-time award-winning documentary filmmaker. I've achieved great success in unearthing groundbreaking stories and people living on the fringes of society. So when I stumbled upon Aidan Mendel in the dark recesses of the internet and learned of his twisted dream, I knew I'd found the subject for my next story. There are plenty of true crime documentaries focusing on serial killers. They're everywhere. But they're always reflecting on past events, whereas what I've uncovered with Aiden is unique. The chance to see a serial killer's legend unfolding right before our very eyes. I think about being a serial killer every day. At home, at work, it's constant. This is the cinema where I work. Perks of the job, get to watch a load of films, horror films. <laughs> I basically run the place. 
It's great because I get to do a lot of people watching, work out which ones I kill. Right, hello everyone, it's Dan here. I am honoured to be joined by three of the team behind the movie, which is going to soon be not premiering, but making its Grimfest debut, because uh, you were at Frightfest previously, I believe. Um, the movie is called When the Screaming Starts. It's a mockumentary about a serial killer. It's a fantastic idea. And the people I have with me are Jared Rogers, one of the stars of the film, Connor Baru, the co-writer and director, and Dom Lenoir, the producer. And Jared and Connor are also on the producing team. So, gentlemen, welcome to our little podcast. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, yeah. Thank you. So, this is a... A, a great fun little movie. Um, at this stage, we're not allowed to give reviews, so I can't tell you specifically what I thought about it, but I think I can give away that I think the basic concept of the movie, which anyone will know if they, if they read the press notes or whatever, uh, it's a mockumentary about a serial killer who's not yet a serial killer. It's kind of following a serial killer on his, his first journey towards killing. I think that's a terrific idea for a movie and Jared you play the director of the documentary who's called Norman and um, uh, and he's a wonderful character to, to follow towards the movie I mean I think um, I realize I'm blathering on and not letting any of you speak I'll give you a moment in a minute but I just like to say and I, again I think this is fine because it's only talking about like the first five minutes of the movie um, I was I'm the kind of viewer who, who tends to enjoy a kind of ridiculously over-the-top James Bondish credit sequence scored by kind of metal music. So I was, I was already liking it, but the moment when I was genuinely kind of charmed and in for the ride was the establishing shot of Norman's camper van where he's kind of raising the roof so he can stand up in it and make his breakfast. <laughs> and uh, I thought I, I'm engaged by this character straight away. The movie we should mention also stars uh, Ed Hartland as the killer who is the folks of the documentary called Aiden or the would-be killer and he and Connor co-wrote the script so Connor would you like to um, tell us something about where the kind of genesis of this movie came from initially? Yeah so um, Ed Hartland originally approached me with the idea and I've been working with Ed for many years uh, we've worked on many projects together as actors. We've written stuff, plays, sketches, short films, all that kind of stuff. And Ed had the initial idea. Um, in fact, he had a first draft of a script. Um, it was quite different to what we, we ended up with, um, but he presented it to me. And we just started developing it from there. I think Ed has said in, in previous interviews that the idea came when he was watching the Ted Bundy tapes. And <laughs> he said he couldn't. He just couldn't look away. And he started questioning what, what did that say about him? And, and so many people have these obsessions with serial killers. And at what point does that obsession become a bit problematic? So that's where the initial idea came from. From there. And it became I, the Ed Bundy tapes. The Ed Bundy tapes, indeed. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I started working with Ed for a period of months and developing it and uh, just tweaks, changes, and, uh, yeah, that's how it began. Right. It's, it's, a, it's a great idea for a movie. Um, we'll come to you in a moment, Jared, because I think that um, 
the character of Norman is a great kind of viewpoint character for the movie. But uh, Dom, do you want to tell us something about your kind of involvement um, as a producer and how the actual production got uh, running up and running, so to speak? Well, I, I'd, I'd known Connor for a while and uh, been following his work and he's done some some really great shorts uh, and he looked like someone promising uh, to follow career wise. And uh, he, he came he came to me with this uh, this script and it immediately sort of grabbed me as something very original uh, and quite ambitious and a bit outside the mold of a normal kind of horror film. Um, and sooner or later, advice sort of turned into producing and then, you know, you start adding uh, connections and, and, you know, as much production value to the already great team that was forming. And suddenly you've kind of got a movie um, piecing itself together uh, and it kind of ballooned into this quite big, ambitious, um, independent film that kind of punches above its weight, really. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's a really good looking piece of work. It, it doesn't feel like a tiny movie. It feels on par with the kind of documentaries that, are, that I think you're uh, aiming to take the mickey out of. So it's really impressive on that level. Um, let's talk about the cast then, and that's where it'll be a good point to bring you in, Jared. Uh, you play Norman. Uh, I have you labelled in my head as the new Alfred Molina. Um, I, I think you, you've, got, you've got some of that quality <laughs> visually going on. Um, and he's a wonderful um, kind of viewpoint character to, to pull the audience into it um uh, so um how did you approach well first of all how were you cast i know that you have a producing involvement did that come before the acting or after i i guess probably they came at a very similar time because we i think when uh after ed had, had kind of come to connor with the script because uh, we'd all uh trained together um quite a lot of the, sort of the cast and crew we already sort of had a good working relationship so uh, Ed had come to me with just to read the script really to begin with and then he said you know I think there's a there's a character uh, here for you and at first I thought maybe maybe Aiden but um, then he he said Norman um, and I guess yeah sort of with that I think with that offer of the role of Norman kind of came the well we kind of all need to sort of chip in on the the sort of the producing side um and just that there's going to be uh as independent film is that there's a lot of hats worn so uh yeah sure yeah so it was uh yeah kind of get involved in there and and throughout the the many drafts i was kind of fortunate to be around ed and connor so i could kind of see that evolution of the uh of the characters as, as they kind of grew through the uh through the many drafts so tell us a little bit about Norman, how you see him and, um, and you know, give the listeners a taste of the character. Because, as I say, for me, that was the character that kind of pulled me into the movie. And I think uh, it will be the, the case for most audiences. So it'd be nice to, to have your take on him here. And what's he like? Uh, I think he's very, certainly very ambitious, uh, but I think he, he isn't... Um aware of his uh, lack of abilities I, I think he definitely wants to be the kind of the greatest documentary filmmaker ever um and he kind of i think is the only person that calls himself a, an award-winning documentary filmmaker as well but i do question <laughs> if he who gave him those awards if he bought them himself or if that's <laughs> kind of, uh, sort of self self-entitled but um 
You he's do a, see the awards, don't you? He's proudly displayed them inside his camper van. <laughs> yeah. They they do look like those kind of awards as well that you probably buy. Uh, I don't know, like the uh, kind of a, like an engraving shop. There's definitely no, uh, I don't know. They don't look too prestigious, but I mean, to me, like kind of like things like The Office and um, sort of sort of quite sort of David Brent like in the way that he wants he sort of sees himself a lot higher than status than he what he actually is. And I just watched a lot of Louis through documentaries as well and thought, what's the kind of the pound shop version of the Louis through. And I think that's what Norma Graysmith is and is in his little camper van. It's a little moment where, where Jared actually lives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's Only. where the authenticity comes from. It all comes together. Very method. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, it was interesting what you said about uh, everybody wearing many hats. Obviously, that is the way with independent movies. I noticed in the credits at the end of the film, you've got the costume designer, Alan Smithy. Um, do I take that to mean the costume designer was everybody brings their own clothes? Uh, well, actually, we uh, there was quite a few sort of charity shops and um, a few other kind of websites that, that Connor and Ed discovered that we sort of I think sort of bought almost their entire stock of um sort of like the clearance stuff so uh but yeah that was definitely a group effort and something that Ed had mentioned just as another kind of um like little easter egg as well that but now I'm glad you uh because actually you're the first person I think I've heard of that's that actually has noticed that and has mentioned that so uh we'll have to tell we'll have to tell Ed well, to be you know, it did surprise me because it doesn't look like a non-costume designed film. You know, there are certain characters such as Amy who've got a very distinctive look, and you know, it, it doesn't look like the actor just turned up on the set and you filmed with whatever was being worn. It, it's kind of all nicely curated and um, and art directed. So yeah, I, we, I appreciate that. Yeah, we, mean, had, I, we, we had to. Um... We did really think about the costumes for a long time. We tried to give each character a bit of a colour theme, which was one, to give this stylized uh, feel, but also it just made our lives a little bit easier as we were having to take on this costume designer role. And just if we can at least nail everyone down to one colour, it made our choices a little bit more simple and it just sort of evolved. And I think we actually quite enjoyed the costume designing side of things. It was quite, quite enjoyable, actually, in the end. Apart from, and, and I don't think this is giving uh, a spoiler away, but the uh, two of the characters have to wear what's called a, a dundle, which is like a kind of a, a Swiss uh, oh, yes. like dress and, and spending several days trying to find one that wasn't, because I think they can go into the thousands. So we definitely didn't have the budget for that, but <laughs> right. we didn't want it to look like it was really cheap. So finding that was, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. No, no. Well done there. Yeah, of course. Um, so that that actually makes me think of uh, those two characters who, who you're mentioning that I think I'm right uh, wearing that and it, it does just uh, make me realize that you've got quite an extraordinary cast I think everybody's really good and very distinct um, Connor would you like to talk a little bit about who the cast are and, and where you obviously you've described your relationship with Ed as pre-existing where did you find the rest of the actors well, yes, obviously, as you said, Ed was was already on board to play uh, the lead, Jared, the co-lead. So um, as we developed the family, the family that Aidan starts within the film, we initially looked 
amongst our circles because we have a great team around us. As Jared said, we we went to a drama school called Art Said, so we had a great uh, a great load of actors that were friends, colleagues, people we could trust, um, and also just throughout the years working in the industry, we've um, we've met so many talented people. So it's quite easy. Most of the people I have to say were were uh, people we'd worked with before, and a lot of them actually came on board as producers as well. So Octavia Gilmore. Uh, who plays Amy, uh, Yesna Tor, who plays Jack, and Carvin Aku, who plays Masood. They all came on board as executive producers. And again, they were just chipping in where they could, helping out. Um, the likes of and, Claire. And, and I did as well as cinema customer number one. That's oh, right. Yes, not, yes. Not forgetting Dom's starring role. <laughs> yes, Dom, sorry, I should have mentioned that. I, I did notice that in the credits. He was upset he wasn't on the poster. I was, um, yeah. Maybe, maybe next time, Dom. Maybe um, next time. But Caitlin, uh, we auditioned. Uh, we auditioned her through um, Yes and the Tour runs a, f- a film school called Film Club, and we had we saw various actresses coming in. You know, fantastic performances. But uh, Caitlin just had something uh, different and unique. We cast her. And, uh, Caitlin uh, Raynell, who plays Aiden's girlfriend Claire, is that right? Yes, that's yeah. the one. Yes, and then obviously we had identical twins written into the script, which. We were yes. kicking ourselves about after because it's uh, it's a little bit more tricky to to find identical twins who actually suit the role. So, okay, so I assumed yeah. uh, I sh- I had assumed that you must have written those twin roles because you knew those actors already. No, all right. No. <laughs> Only, we actually, we actually yes. had some some quite far far traveling characters as well. Um, Richard, the the cat, uh, travelled all the way from Russia. Right. <laughs> we, we, couldn't, we couldn't find a stuffed cat in, in the UK for, for a reasonable price, and they, they make them bespoke. So uh, wow. yeah, a bit of an anecdote for you there. Right. Dom's, okay. uh, Dom's become quite fond of Richard. I have. Uh, I have. <laughs> <laughs> he brings the, the, him up in every interview. Yeah. There is um, a shot in the movie, not giving anything away, but like a long shot where the cat looks like it's moving. So is that a stuffed cat or a real cat? Does it have like an articulation to this very expensive, no doubt, model that you saw from overseas? Well, that was actually CGI, although I did make sure that, that Richard was uh, credited as Richard the Stuffed Cat, played by himself on IMDb, so hopefully that clarifies things. But right. he, he was actually a static cat on the day, and then uh, we used the magic of VFX to, to animate him. Wow. Oh, incredible. Well, it fooled me, so that was good. I, you know, I thought I was looking at a real cat, and then... That's exactly know. what we want to hear. Yeah. Oh, okay, nice. So, um... Thinking about the movie, it's. I think there's a rich tradition of, obviously, comedy mockumentaries, uh, both in TV and film. Uh, you know, I was thinking about Spinal Tap when I was watching it. Uh, I was thinking about Marty DeBerge when I, I was watching Norman. And, uh, but I was also thinking about the kind of classic British kind of comedy characters like Alan Partridge, you know, the little man who thinks he's a great man and, and so on. Uh, I, I thought that worked really well, um, but I would I did notice, and, I, and I'm going to say this carefully because again I don't want to give anything away. But the movie gets darker as it goes along, um, and that's quite something. When the premise of the movie it's a documentary about a serial killer, then it, it gradually gets darker and darker. Um, 
was that Connor? Was that something that you kind of decided in 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 the writing that it had to go, or did you always set out with the aim of of making this ultimately quite dark movie? Um, I think it was something that was we were constantly thinking about myself and Ed and and Jared as well. You know, from from very early on, we knew we wanted to to create this this dark comedy and you know at the end of the day we're making a film about serial killers so we felt like we, we didn't want to veer away from the more violent scenes the blood the death you know um sure. but it was something we wanted to almost lure the audience in under a you know full sense of security at first it seems quite harmless and fun um but when it becomes real, when it's not just um, this idea of being a serial killer, when it starts to happen in reality, the film does take a, a bit of a right turn and, it, and things do turn dark very quickly. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And um, yeah, I can't talk much about that because I don't want to give anything away, but, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's quite striking and, and effective. Um, but in the earlier scenes, you can kind of mistake it for a TV Comedy. I, I use the word mistake. I don't mean that as a, as a criticism, but it's um, it, you know it it feels like that, that kind of um, uh, I'm trying to think of an example of a current kind of mockumentary comedy. But um, I'll, I'll use The Office. It's only 20 years old, but it feels a bit like <laughs> that that kind of thing that you'd wow. switch on uh, on on BBC Two or whatever, and 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 it is quite charming and. Th- there are hilarious moments. Again, I'm not going to describe it to spoil it, but for instance, the uh, the raven bit made me laugh out loud. That was great, um, <laughs> and and it is quite comfortable. Um, also, of course, Dom, not to forget your starring role in the cinema <laughs> patron scene. That's that's quite a classic moment as well. Um, but you know, it it is quite um, in a way relaxing viewing to start with but then it begins to take this increasingly dark zone which you know that's what we're here for you know Grimfest is not uh you know happy fest it's Grimfest and and the audience is after dark stuff so it it does go there and um, and you know I'm sure that um people will be pleased to hear that it, that it goes in that direction but even in in the early stages where it's just really really a, a, a little story about characters uh, under the delusion in a way that they're, they're, they are killers. Um, it's quite charming. I, I also love the teaser trailer, which was the first thing I ever saw from the movie uh, in which Aiden and Claire are playing guess who, but all the characters serial killers. That, that's, you know, there's, there's, there's lots of wonderful kind of little touches like that. So. And all this stuff I'm mentioning is quite early in the movie, so um, no kind of spoil, major spoilers here. Um, so oh, I want to ask, though, um, uh, what was the thing that made you choose the title when the screaming starts? Because obviously we're very excited on this podcast to uh, to to entertain a movie that's got such an appropriate name for our podcast. Well, we um, heard about your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that is the answer I wanted to hear. Although I, I did also find myself wondering, is this a reference to the, in its own way, somewhat terrifying Bross documentary after the screaming stops? <laughs> <laughs> somewhat terrifying. Um, I think it was, that, well, I think Ed had already named the script by the time I came on board. Um, so I I have never actually asked Ed if it was influenced by the Bross documentary or 
there is that film which I've never seen, and now the screaming starts, which you mentioned. Yes, so, yes. Yeah, um, I'd be, I should really ask it. That it's only been two years we've been working on this film. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it it's whatever works, isn't it? it we'll, looks we'll put good it on, on the uh, we'll put it on, we'll put it on the trivia on the IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> nice. There's always a place for everything. Um, oh, brilliant. I think um, they did have a, wasn't there on one of the earlier drafts, I think it was, was it a conversations with a serial killer when the screaming starts or vice versa? Maybe it was, I think then, I think that got kind of pushed to the side. So it was just when the screaming starts, I think. Right. Maybe. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Many moons ago. But we are, we are still trying to, on some searches, trying to uh, knock down and when the screaming starts. Because that e- even if you search when the screaming starts, sometimes it'll bring that film and we're just trying right. to yeah. Yeah. Um, Google L's to... Uh... <laughs> I can understand that. People, if, if any cheapskates out there wanting to see this movie, uh, it's not on YouTube. That's and now the, pod, uh, and now the screaming starts is on YouTube. There's lots of them. Um, we know... But uh, but no, for when the st- screaming starts, you'll have to go to Grimfest or one of the subsequent festivals before it's it's wide release. Um, I think we should just talk a little bit about Ed as well because he's not here. Obviously, he is the star of the movie, uh, playing Aiden, and he originated the idea. He's got a, a really nice kind of gentle manic quality to him you know the the glint in the eyes and the and the kind of slightly sinister smile but ultimately he's he's kind of a sad figure a pitiable figure um uh yeah and i I think that ed uh, does a great job with that character um I, I don't know if any of you would like to just talk about connor what was it like well obviously you have a uh, you've been working with that for a long time. What did you find in terms of being on the set and developing this this character that you'd already written together about? And um, what was the process like for you and and Ed on this movie? Yeah, it was it was pretty straightforward for me because again, I'd already worked with Ed before, so I knew what I was getting myself get myself into really i knew there was never sure. going to be any any major conflicts like me and ed have um we're very different and, and the way we approach writing is very different but ultimately um we work well together i think we have different strengths different weaknesses and together we make a, a strong team um and ed's pretty um what's the word he doesn't have much of an ego he he, he always wants to put the writing first you know if, if if it's my idea over his he'll happily cut it if he thinks it's better for the film there's no yeah there's no ego involved so i knew i knew we would work well together in that regard um in terms of him being an actor i have to say to him and and jared like those guys were wearing so many hats producing uh, we said this a few times now but you know jared as an example would be picking people up in the camper van in costume to take right. them to set so, you know, the fact that they were under that much pressure, but still had to get in front of the camera and, you know, not show that stress, not show that um, pressure that we were under every day, the time pressure. Um, yeah, they did a fantastic job. And, and Ed, to, you know, to hold the whole film together in the way he does, I just have to salute him for that. Now, he does a great job. But, uh, but you, as you say, it's clear that he's he's not got a, an ego as a creative behind the movie because there's plenty of room in the film 
for all the characters to take the limelight for Jared's character and for and for others. Um, it, it's it's a really nice ensemble piece in a lot of ways. Um, you mentioned the, the tightness of the schedule then. May I ask, how long did it take to shoot the movie? What was it, Jay? 12 days initially? I think, yeah, um, 12, 12 days in January and then... Until yeah. the six, wasn't it? Yeah, six or seven. We did... Um, we reshot a f a quite a few bits. We decided to change one key location, which just wasn't really working. Um, so we had to reshoot a fair bit, and then we added in loads of the backstories that you'll see throughout the film. You know, each of the sort of characters sure, you get to yeah. see a bit more of their their backstory. So yeah, we did a few more days after the first initial lockdown, um, and sort of seamlessly tried to put that in into the film. So uh, I think in total, it's probably around eighteen, nineteen days. Yeah. That's pretty good for um, you know a feature film in this modern day. Um, wow, and in January as well. I assume this January was that twenty twenty one. No, twenty twenty. Oh, so that right. was just just when kind of you know COVID just was before it hit. Yeah, yeah. So we was very you know we we could have you know sort of dozens of people on set. Obviously there was you know, masks and temperature checks and hand sanitizer stations weren't even a thing then. Sure. Um, yeah, so it was yeah. kind of like open buffets and that. And then we went from <laughs> being kind of an already small crew to having to be even smaller when it came to doing the additional stuff kind of later on in 2020 when, yeah, it had to be masked up and kind of doing temperature all the temperature. Fun. Yeah, <laughs> COVID tests and, and uh, check forms and that. And yeah. Of course, and but even pre-pandemic, you know, filming in January is not always the greatest thing to. It's not the greatest fun in Britain. January <laughs> I was, filming. It, it I was, was fine. Was wearing a, sorry, Don. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, like, there there were two heaters in in one of the warehouse locations, and I remember that people were sort of taking it in turns, just sort of <laughs> basking themselves, uh, myself being one of them, uh, in, in the, the moments between takes, because there were moments when it was absolutely freezing. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think it was the actors who suffered. I mean, obviously, mm. as a director, I'm there in my North Face jacket, nice and cozy, <laughs> but some of the actors are wearing, you know, skimpy outfits, just a shirt or something, and, you know, it was pretty cold in that warehouse. Yeah. Wow. Uh, you're bringing back memories for me because I suddenly remember I, I have actually filmed in January uh, oh. as a producer and um, I rem and in a warehouse type location as well. And I seem to remember that when we did it, we only had enough heaters for one room in the building. Oh. So there was a warm room that people would go and stand in <laughs> for like 10 minutes before everyone's out again and you can see everyone's breaths. And uh, yeah. Oh dear, oh dear. yeah, yeah. incredible. And, and we were supposed to be trying to make it look like California as well. So. <laughs> yeah, the, the condensation. Yeah, the the makeup team had their work cut out basically. But, um, mm. So well, no, you you did it for a whole movie and for um, you know nearly three weeks. That's incredible. And um, thank you. And the the result looks really slick. Um, you know it it's a great edit but the editing kind of increases the comedy and obviously um you've got a great musical score as well that i've i've already mentioned with the metal music i think it's michael palmer who is your composer there's the hilarious bit though when you see that aiden used to be in a band and uh, you get to see his kind of i don't know 
90s vintage music video. <laughs> that, was a, that, was a, that was a dream come true, I think, for, for Ed. Um, I think he was getting to relive his teenage years there. Uh, but mm. him, uh, Ed and his brother, Nick Cartland, actually wrote that music for that music video and um, <laughs> i think i think it's been released now hasn't it guys is it on spotify i think it's yeah. on spotify yeah you can get it yeah we're about to go up. platinum burn the witch <laughs> download it now it's yeah. brilliant it's it's a real highlight oh nice one yeah i i uh, i joked about that too anymore <laughs> um so it, it's it's a great fun movie and there's lots of remarkable and fun elements within it to highlight um Jared, I just want to come back to you because I feel like we, we've we've kind of not given you enough um, space to to extol because you've obviously, as I say, you've you've you managed to create a great character in it. But as Connor's kind of outlined, you were also a, a production mover and shaker. You were stressed out. I love the mental image of you turning up to pick up other actors <laughs> in the camper van. Thank you so much for for giving us that <laughs> mental image. Um, and uh, yeah. Uh, so how much fun was it for you kind of shifting mindsets from producer to actor and back again kind of throughout in the freezing cold? I think just I, it took maybe like a little like the first few days on set, maybe the sort of if Connor was you know busy and, and Ed was busy uh, and Dom as well, you know, sort of people kind of coming up to you with just, you know, things about costume, you know, where's my costume, where's kind of this and you're, you know, maybe kind of going over the script thinking about the next scene and then all of a sudden it's taking off that hat and going to go okay yeah you're this is your costume and so I think the first few days and we're sort of kind of getting into that because that's you know mm. I've done things on short films and that but that's uh, normally a couple of days shoot and, and you're not really it's kind of everything's almost kind of set in place before shoot begins but we were very much you know, we'd do a few days shoot and then one of our, the, the cinema location, we had another cinema lined up uh, and they had pulled out very last minute. So um, right. I remember Connor. Cinema and, customer one swooped in to save the day. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there's always, uh, yeah, there's always a few kind of l little hurdles and, and little challenges along the way. So you couldn't just kind of go, okay, everything's set. It was, and, um, and and credit to Connor to be able to uh, kind of be directing sort of multiple people, then just have like a whisper in his ear, oh no, this, either this, we've lost this location very last minute and just kind of keep the, the cool head and not be like, oh, we need to get that sorted. It was like, hey, the scene at hand and then mm. <laughs> go out for the 30 second break you could get, make a quick phone call and then... Uh... And a quick scream. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We didn't, we didn't get much sleep. We didn't get much sleep in that period. Actually, yeah, the, the first, uh, what was it? The first six days, I think, of the shoot, we all stayed in uh, in an Airbnb. Uh, Connor and I shared a room. Paul, our sound guy, and, and Toby, our first AD, shared a room. And Alan, who'd just flown in from uh, New York, uh, he was on like the kind of a sofa bed in the living room. So it was very, uh, very co-sailing everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So uh, no. <laughs> you kind of do a, do a long shoot and then you'd all come back and then just be planning for the next so many days, ringing people up and kind of just organising schedules and yeah. Yeah. 
again the rock and roll lifestyle of independent movie making it's it is a battle and it's it's you know it requires great energy and focus to get through and to make a whole movie in that way and you guys have done it that's really impressive um so i, I don't want to say too much more about how much i like the movie because that might constitute a review but um <laughs> I, I think we can accept will, that <laughs> well Thank you very much, Dom. It's very gracious of you. I do want to ask you guys if you have future plans that you can talk about either together or separately. Um, yeah, okay, you guys go. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're we're always working away on various projects. Um, at the moment, there's, you know, as collectively, we've got a number of scripts, feature films, uh, TV scripts, various stages of development, some of their ideas, some are fully fleshed out scripts. So we're just in the process now of um, talking to some people, getting some more projects off the ground. Some actually are, I know Dom's working on, on one at the moment. Um, so yeah, st more stuff coming soon, that's for sure. Oh, brilliant. Um, so we're gonna see you hitting more festivals sometime yes. in, in the envision envisionable future. Yeah, yeah, so I mean, Grimfest is our northern premiere. So you know, everyone who's listening to this, it'd be amazing if you uh, try and head on down because it's going to be a, an amazing sort of Saturday afternoon screening, which is a great spot. Um, oh, yeah. And also have a look at the the teaser trailer as well if you want to sort of wet your your filmic appetite before you get down. Um, and then also we've got a couple of uh, really big festivals in the USA uh, coming up and later on. A couple we can't announce yet. Um, but we're also doing Film Quest in Utah, which is another very highly regarded uh, festival. So the accolades are kind of mounting up and it's uh, it's really good, the, the level of uh, you know festivals that are accepting us at the moment. Yeah, it's fantastic. And yeah, the accolades, as you say, I can't review it, but the listener only has to Google the reviews from FrightFest to see some nice feedback there. And um, yeah, I, I, you guys must be quite pleased with how it's doing extremely yeah uh, it's just to just to think like we started off the the plan i think originally when it was a, a wasn't really a budget at all like the plan was connor to direct and film on a kind of a a, a canon c100 and <laughs> kind of uh, um yeah mark just, two mark two let's you know mark, mark two, yeah, sorry, mark two. <laughs> it's got a 4k sensor but it, it outputs 1080 <laughs> but, <laughs> But um, yeah, just the way, and like Don um, said at the start of the interview, just the way this whole project really has snowballed. Like I, I think you know, none of us could envision the like the vast kind of cast and crew that we had, and just the way it's grown into this um, into this yeah beautiful beast, really. Um, mm. And it, it went from I think it, it you know it has still been a great. Um, feature i think you know if, if we shot it ourselves but it would be nothing of, of what it what it is with the great great team adrian musto our our dop and mm -hmm. this is his first feature um shot mm -hmm. a lot of uh, documentaries and other, and other things for like really big projects but this was his first and uh, alan ray our editor it's his first feature isn't it as um yeah as an editor um so yeah it was it was a really you know it was a very much a team effort and you know a lot of kind of debut kind of for feature films as well um and yeah it was just a i mean i think 
I think that was what made it so good is that there was this all this fresh energy of people making debuts and with really new original ideas. And then there was, you know, some some kind of longer industry connections that were sort of coming in to add things here and there. And, and we were all incredibly proud of it. But I don't think we expected to be like named as top uh, festival picks of, of top 10 from Fight Fest and, you know, all these four or five star reviews coming through. Like it was just a amazing uh, reception. And we we're really hoping that Grimfest are equally excited to, to receive the film. I am sure that they absolutely are. Um, we'll see how the audiences react, but I think you'll find that Grimfest audiences are very loving and, and enthusiastic and think it'll go down a storm. Um, well, gentlemen, that's been a fascinating interview and it's, it's a really exciting film to cover and to, to discover. So thank you so much for all your hard work and thank you for your time talking to us. Um, so we'll, we'll sign off the interview now, if that's all right. Um, unless any of you want to get in um, a cheeky final comment that will entice additional viewers. Uh, follow us on the socials of When the Screaming Starts uh, on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook uh, and hope to see you down at Fright Fest. That was Grim, a crucial Grimfest. comment. Grimfest. Yeah. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I missed it. You oh, want to get away with it. Grimfest, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um I will do it. I'll do what what a disaster. Grimfest <laughs> was last month, Don. Sorry. It's Sorry. Uh, we love Grimfest. We love crazy, <laughs> crazy couple of years. Things start yeah. to run into one. But uh <laughs> but no, I would promise you, Dom, that I'll I'd edit that to, to make it right. uh, to look okay, but I'm not gonna because we don't do that on, on our podcast. <laughs> um, but the list the listeners know that it's all about Grimfest. We love uh, you, Manchester. Yeah, <laughs> forgive uh, us. <laughs> we in Manchester are very lucky to have Grimfest. So yeah, they but, are. But, yeah, you know. they, they've been such a lovely festival as well. Like the you know everyone in the team has been so helpful and friendly. So uh, he's backtracking now, isn't he? Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's a certain amount of digging going on, but yeah, I think you, you, you might be repenting for some time. Don. Throw me under the bus here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Uh, thank you so much for your time, uh, Jared Rogers. Thank you so much. Thank you. Connor Baru, the director, thank you very much. Thank you, sir. And Dom Lenoir, producer, thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Such a pleasure. Cheers. So thanks to Dom Lenoir, Connor Baru, and Jared Rogers for being interviewed there about the movie When the Screaming Starts, which is showing at Grimfest on uh, Saturday the 9th of October and Dom and Connor and also the star Ed Hartland and a couple of the other actors will hopefully be present to do a Q&A there and if you go to the link in the show notes you can see a teaser trailer for the movie as well. Now if we move on to the final uh, film we'll be covering in this episode Ian and I both had the honour of talking over Zoom to uh, Keen McRae, Christopher McMillan and Lane Thomas, who are the co-producers and co-writers of Shot in the Dark, an American film which is um, sort of a serial killer thriller, but many other things besides. Keen McRae was also the director and Christopher 
is also the lead actor, although all three gentlemen are, in, are all in the movie in acting roles. Um, before we cut to the interview, uh, I'd like to set the scene by playing you a bit of the audio from the trailer for the movie. If you go to grimfest.com, you can see the full trailer. I haven't included all the sound here because a lot of it wouldn't make sense without the images. It's a very visual trailer, but I think there's enough of it to set the atmosphere. And then you'll hear from the way that Ian and I talk about it. You'll get more of a sense of the movie as the interview goes. So enjoy this final um, this final segment, and I'll be back at the end on my own to wrap up the episode. Another box has just arrived at the Wallow County Sheriff's Station. Authorities ask that you be vigilant when leaving your home. Maintain an awareness of your surroundings. Do you feel like someone has been in the house? Okay, guys. So we'll just go around the table and say, uh, say we're here for uh, we're here for shot in the dark. We'll just go around the virtual table. I'm starting with Keen, I guess, because you're the person who's on that side. Um, and just say what who you are and what you did. <laughs> what did? You do? <laughs> I am Keen McRae. I uh, directed, wrote, and acted in Shot in the Dark. Right. I'm Christopher. I'm Christopher McMillan. Um, I'm sorry I've mispronounced your name. <laughs> no, everybody does it. The I best example is if you know the music artist Chris Christopherson, just use that and drop the sun. Right. Um, at the end. Um, so, no, Chris, so Christopher, please tell yeah, us about your involvement. Call me Chris too, though. Works. Okay. I think Chris is easier for people. Uh, um, Chris McMillan. Um, uh, I play William, and I co-wrote and co-produced the, the feature. Great. And uh, Lane. Hey, everybody. I'm Lane. I play the role of Clay. I was a co-writer and a producer on Shot in the Dark. Brilliant. Excellent. Um, absolutely loved it, and I understand. We're, we're covering this for Grimfest, um, which is in our neck of the woods, um, Manchester, or, or, in, or, there, or the northwest of england anyway um so i understand this is a world premiere is that correct i haven't got completely an actual world premiere i think that's quite that's a great coup for grimfest because it's a marvelous film and uh thanks can't quite believe it's a debut for for (laughs) just just uh all round all round great great movie um i mean it's one of those movies that's kind of hard to talk about without spoiling it in terms of the plot but um so I guess we'll just start with uh, you, you say up front it's based on a true story. How mm-hmm. tr- how based on a true story is it? That's a good question. We get that. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, I think I think this is a question for Chris. Yeah, it was. The, I I think the best example I give is uh, it's like it started off as you know a lo- based on something that happened in my hometown, 
And it's more based on the rumors that were spreading about how the incident ended. And I don't, without giving away anything, I don't know if that's too vague, but um, mm. we took that and then we took elements of real life killers as well to combine into that. But it's really, we took that as its core. And I said, the best examples, it started off as a true story. And then as the writing process went on, it turned into Thelma and Louise riding off the cliff. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> It, uh, it has okay. elements of truth. Some characters that really existed are, are real life characters and relationships. And it all took place in the one day. There was other elements that were part of it that we had to write out due to budgetary restraints. But that doesn't take away from the fact that it did start from a very real place. And I think it's worth saying that it feels very real as well. Mm -hmm. um, for the listeners who obviously haven't seen the movie yet because this episode is going out before the festival, um, you know, it feels like a slice of life, although quite a complex slice of life, because we've got many characters with different uh, or, or interweaved backstories, which we see in, in a quite uh, complex kind of um, uh, non-linear, in many ways, mm -hmm. narrative. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, that works really well and, and helps it to feel really real. Um, it's, although you could describe it as a serial killer thriller. Um, it doesn't really have those cliches. Which is we talk about the serial killer yeah. almost as the context, right? It's the circumstances mm -hmm. through which you see this slice of life on small town relationships and the inertia of, of people who are feeling very stuck and all need to move on in one way or another. And um, yeah. to, to Chris's point about the question of how true is it, you know, you, we, he had, this was an incident happened in his hometown. He interviewed some people that were close to the incident. And some of those characters are very realized in this film. Yeah. And their names are still in there. So <laughs> I was because I was going to say the the it's um not not knowing apart from LA or apart from the east and the west coast typically I don't know those bits of the state so where 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 is this lovely town that you filmed in so we where actually all happy, created where all the happy people live and where all the happy people live so just so I you don't ever go there I thought the characterization was absolutely brilliant it felt it felt like a real town. Um, cool. not, necessarily, not necessarily a place I'd want to go, but it felt yeah. like a real <laughs> dead end. What are you town. talking about? The mountains are beautiful. <laughs> I guess exactly, yeah. yeah, the nature. Yeah, um, yeah, but uh, but but yeah. Where, whereabouts was was it was it shot where you where you're from, Christopher? Or it's actually what? Lane. It was shot where I'm from, most uh, around Reno, Nevada, where I'm from, backside of Tahoe. Wow. Up and down the 395, the uh, eastern Sierra Nevada mountain. Oh, uh, yeah. There, behind uh, the Mount Whitney, the highest point in the contiguous United States. Is that kind of near Yosemite? Yes, actually, it's on the backside of Yosemite. Yosemite so I have on the been. backside of Mammoth, yeah, on beautiful. the backside of Tahoe. <laughs> All of that, all of those mountain ranges and a lot of those cities along the 395 make some exteriors of, of the film. So, yeah. Oh, that, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was, I was going to say as well, it's, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't, um, the town doesn't necessarily look very attractive, but the actual, yeah, you're right. The, um, the landscape mm -hmm. as is often mm -hmm. the way in the States looks pretty yeah. breathtaking. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, now, now I, so I was wondering if, 
if it was uh, New England and, or somewhere. And we invented the small town of, of Lawton, Nevada, a, f- a fake town name in the in the in homage to Greenbow, Greenbow, Alabama, Forrest Gump, right? Made up town. Took a page from that book with uh, inventing see. Lawton to kind of characterize this general area that is uh, captured here on film. Yeah, like middle middle America. West. Yeah. yeah. West America. West, yeah. rural, west, the rural West, middle America. Yeah. Do you guys hate the word flyover states that we always hear? No, I don't. I never lived in one. Yeah, we consider them flyovers <laughs> as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. How, how did it how did it come about? Because it's a it's um look at looking looking you up, you guys up on the internet. You uh, you all seem to obviously have have careers up and going, but still like early doors in lots of ways. But how did how did how did such an accomplished movie come together? Like time. Thank you. You guys meet. We met uh, about eleven or twelve years ago, actually, uh, and that's when we started working on this. Uh, And we had never made anything before, so this was our first foray, and uh, it took so long that we made some stuff in between (laughs) (laughs) the beginning and the end of this (laughs) process. Um, Yeah. But we, yeah, we've we've been working on it for a really long time. We we wrote we wrote for five years, and then uh, we've been in production and in post for six. So happy yeah. to be at this stage. <laughs> yep. That's a long, that's a long time in post. But um, yeah, yeah no, but I, I absolutely um, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 great. It's part. Of, I mean, I think Dan will agree. One of the great things about festivals and being a critic is you just go in cold. So you you don't. I didn't even know. You don't even know you're watching a serial killer movie. You don't. I literally had no idea what it was. And then I was oh, like, wow. "Oh, cool! This seems really good." And then it was a serial killer movie. And then it's got actually, it's a love story, mm-hmm. but it it didn't it didn't sort of it didn't sort of stint on any of the aspects. It's really, really moving. It and is. And I would say to any 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 gore hounds out there, it's not like. It's not a horrible, horrible serial killer movie as well. So it has that element as well. Um, for those that, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't stint on all those things. And it's, um, it, re- it really is. A, how, how did you, um, I mean, how, how did you, was that, was, was that mixture always what you're always going for? Mm, was yeah, it always I, going to be about the love story? And I think you mentioned that you had the serial killer MacGuffin as a sort of I way think- in. I think it started out much more of a movie with a twist. You know, we had this idea for a twist. Chris had this idea. He had a version of the script. And when I met him in 2009, where this twist was like, wow, okay, that could be really something. Um, I don't think I've seen that twist before. And, And then from there, it was like, how do we, how do we make this also something that people haven't seen, right? How do we how do we not just connect the dots to this twist in the way that everybody would know or has seen in the past from a genre perspective? And that's where I think Keen got took a heavy hand, and and also myself. We're all from small towns. We all know these characters. That's why we played them, right? Um, so you know those aspects of the of the of the interpersonal relationships. It was, essentially it was, also, turn- it was also the time when. Um- my my dad had been diagnosed with brain cancer, um, so this was sort of a cathartic process and getting over grief. And uh, at the same time, I'd just fallen in love for the second time. So that kind of clash of mm. two heavy emotions 
was no. sort of pulsing through me while yeah. while we were working on this. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, I can see that. It's it's it's. I think I think especially for people that will, the general audience will sort of they'll probably see a trailer and they will see this. I think it's important for us to sort of say you this is this is a genuinely touching film, and we, we can't spoil it too much. But I, I love I, lo- I love the just a little last scene with you at the end, Keen. It is you, isn't it, in the van? Cool. Yeah, you guys, cool. I must say, yeah. you guys look quite different in the yeah. in the movie. And then when you have the flashback scenes, um, well, they, <laughs> now, now you're saying how long this movie's been. How long ago did you film those flashback scenes? Because you guys look young. Those are the first things we filmed. And that uh, was well, intentional. Well, we'll do that just in case that you know what I mean, because time was supposed to take place in between the two worlds. Yeah, we knew we knew that it would take a while because we only had so much money to shoot. So we decided to do the flashbacks first because we knew it would take some some months or a year to, to raise the funds for the next. So sort of half half accidental link later with boyhood kind of thing. Before boyhood came out, did boyhood come come out yet? Oh, we uh, we were doing it before before, yeah. and then and then it came out in the like, middle of what we were doing. Seven years ago, I think, yeah. Oh my yeah. God, because because when you first get to the flashback scenes, I go, oh my God, those guys have really like, they've really gone for it. And, um, <laughs> and, yeah. But it was just the aging process. So that's yeah, it was, it was real. It <laughs> also, I mean, when I, when I shave my face, I also have a baby face. So that helped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Insulting you terribly there. Um, no. <laughs> no, no, I know exactly where you're coming from, Pete. <laughs> yeah. um, but I was, I was, I was going to say about the, um, especially with, with the sort of central character of William, like it, he really, without spoiling it for the for the audience, but he really, really sort of puts to test that Shakespeare quote of uh, "It's better to have loved than to have lost," because mm. man, is it. Um, <laughs> but uh, but 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 oh, like man. that whole that whole coming back from New York thing. How how much is that sort of part of your own own experience, or do you guys all live back where you grew up, or you know, what's it like when you go home? Or did you um, have to go home for? We Kirk? all <laughs> moved out of our small towns, so going back yeah. home is um, kind of a shock to the system, especially after. Um, not being there for so long and then going back I'm from Alabama so it's a lot different no. from Los Angeles yeah yeah no that's I, I concur with what Keen just said it's it's always that's a big part of what we tried to capture in the film though was the you know a lot if you've ever been to those kind of towns if you're from a small town you've seen that person who it's like they should have left but they didn't and then you yeah. see the full, there's so many different facets and you, you, you know, they were the popular kid in high school. They were the jock, all the stereotypes of a horror film, you know, these characters only 10 years later, you know what I mean? Yeah. And these yeah. are the characters and this is what really happens to people like that when they stay those people, you know, and that's real. That's something you actually run into in those small yeah. towns. Every time you go back home, you're like, yeah, oh, yeah. I intentionally don't, I mean, it sounds terrible. I love my family and everything, but I, I make it a point not to go home all that much. Um, <laughs> or a good reason, you know? Um, I, I, like, I like going home. It's a lot slower. The pace is nice and slow. 
Yeah. I do too as well. Yeah. I spend a, quite a bit of time back where I'm from in Reno. I'm, obviously the odd one out there. Then. <laughs> yes. No, I, I, I think it's interesting. I've got a great family. <laughs> I think it's interesting. <laughs> I, I think it is interesting what you're saying about William's character though, because I think this is a big piece of it, right? Because it's, it's William having left the small town, going to New York, finding success, coming back with that success that really shifts Vince's perspective about his state and his place. And I yeah. think, I think we've all fantasized about this like sort of trajectory as well. And as we're all artists, you know, going back home as the big successful artist and, you know, being um, praised for that success of having made it, you know, whatever that means to you <laughs> in, in, in whatever field that you're in. And, um, and then we find this very interesting dynamic between William and, and Lily, his love interest. And, and we see, um, you know, quite a bit of conflict over the value structure. What is real? What really does matter? Does that kind of success matter? Does, is the big city um, really better and vice versa? And, and uh, you know, the presumptions that we make about this, structure of values you know comes into question um with their relationship you know yeah it's it's bullet points um you, most films you see that do that you know they have their love story and their structure it's usually a big part of it oh the love interest who is that and you you hear big terms used to like for that you have to have the meat cute you have to have these and it's like the, they always do it like bullet points but that's very you know we wanted to do something more realistic, something that if a viewer watches, they would be like, oh, I, I know that person. I might be that person. I've seen this world. You know, this is something that was very big. And I think that was one of the biggest things King definitely brought as the director to the film to yeah. really spearhead that. He wanted, like, there were times where we'd be editing. Naturalism, like, like, realism. And it'd be like, oh, let's do this, let's do this. And I'd come up with this movie line. And he'd be like, that's a movie line. I'm like, you're right, it is. <laughs> gone like my last girlfriend it's out um, <laughs> yeah no, no, there's, go ahead yeah, sorry yeah i was saying you've, you've you've got i mean between you guys and 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 your the rest of the actors you've got a wonderful cast as well mm. and uh just just there was there's some genuinely i guess i didn't really expect it to be it's uh it's 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 so, it's got it's it's got so many great things in it but some of it it's you know it's 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 moving and it's um and it's got real artistry as well. Like really, like there's just that. I just love the bit where, it, you know, you have the bit and you're, oh, you know, somebody's tied to a chair. There's going to be some violence. But then you, then you sort of have that great bit with the fireworks and flashbacks mm. and just, just like brilliant sequences like that. So, so, so the the the, the violence side of it is is still is you know is still horrible in a good way, but it's mm. not it's not gratuitous and it's not the be all and end all. It's not, it's, it, well, you it, said it, something it, it is a thought it's a, it's a, it's such a surprisingly thought provoking serial killer movie. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And you said something earlier, you know, about the gore hounds, you know, we, we definitely yeah. wanted to make sure everyone got their itch scratched on this ride, you know, given yeah. the, given the presumptions that you're going to make going into this movie, but we wanted to be sure that we weren't making something that they'd seen, you know, and that's where we ended up over indexing, um, you know, really into the love elements in a lot of yeah, ways. And, and, we, and we didn't want, we didn't want the gore to just be for no reason and just be, just to be gory for gore's sake. And sure. that's why, that's why we popped into the, to the flashbacks when the gore happens, because it's just an escape. It's our character's way out. 
of that room. The fracturing. Yeah, I was, uh, was going to give a shout out to the, the girlfriend. Um, is it Christine Don- Donlon? Christine yeah. Donlon, yeah. Like, yeah. She's, she's, I've not seen her before, but she was great. I mean, yes, you can fall in love with her. It's very believable. <laughs> it was very easy to act opposite, you know? Like, <laughs> the easiest acting I've ever done. I just have to show up. <laughs> but the listeners, Christopher looks absolutely yeah, no. delighted. <laughs> yeah. I got to kiss her now? Shucks. No, no. She was very sweet, and she was actually very lovely, and... Um, she brought a lot of interesting ideas to the set, and you know, and she I also she also worked with us. We were we were tough to work with because we had never made anything before, and we were making a lot of mistakes and asking her to come back for a bunch of uh, reshoots, like so, over uh, over over a decade. Over a decade, yes. It really says something. Half of a decade. We've only been in production for half of the decade. That's okay then. Very talented, extended quite a bit of patience to us, but we also knew that she was going to bring a lot to the role and and gave her, tried to give her as much room to play and be natural and bring her own voice to the table. And I think that's part of what, you know, makes her charm and, and magic come to life. In, in the role yeah she and like I said she I, my favorite thing when you work with her is she could smile and you could tell she has a very different thought behind her smile and that was mm-hmm. like uh, it was that's one of the things like you know as an actor when you're working opposite somebody you try to find the thing about a person that you can latch onto, and it was nothing to do with her looks ironically it was literally oh she has something else going on behind her smile I like that that's what I, mm-hmm. I clung very to, layered you know? Uh, and yeah, just, it made you care, made you something to attach to. Um, yeah, she, she, she seemed to make a lot of interesting choices in each scene. Like she there was, you know, uh, like I thought it was a cracking script anyway. But yeah, but just the the, act, the acting really lifted it as well. Even even, I mean, again, we can't. I'm almost almost did a spoiler then. But like um, Austin, <laughs> Hebert, who, uh, is it her? Is it Austin Eber. Hebert. Because I, I looked, I thought I recognized him, and then I looked him up. He was on True Blood a, a little bit, wasn't he? Um, yeah, Jack Reacher uh, too. I thought he had that look. I, I thought he had a look of one of the small town guys. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, but but again, he is, he's he, a Texas boy. Without, without saying who he is or what he does in the play, um, in the film, what he what he does is uh, his performance is great as well. Like, I, yeah. I, I, with, with him and Christine, were they just straight casting? You just got them through casting austin's a buddy of ours we know from act through acting class and then christine we um same for christine yeah. oh really did no, she yeah, come christine, in christine was good buddies with um myself and mike hoy and and some oh, other mike. friends okay. yeah yeah so um but yeah we we knew of them um through our acting circles and we're very lucky to be able to get them to go on this ride with us. And, you know, Austin, Austin does a great job and he's, he's a terrific working actor and brought a lot to the table in, in that role. And, um, you know, we were excited to have them obviously Jacqueline Taboni as well, shouting out her. One that I really, that we were, I was super impressed with that. I got to admit when I saw her, you know, we, I was the most kind of floored by not to bring up another actor, but uh, Kelly Mack, Right. She was one that when she 
That was like our a, true audition. Yeah, yeah. She, I guess she was the, our true audition find. And I met yeah. and I knew her through my acting circles, and I'd worked with her in class. But yeah, she that was one where we still have that audition tape, and I remember the still very vividly. That was a tape where we're like, boom, that was it. And she could take notes brilliantly. You know, she was she either she came in prepped to do different things, or she was just naturally can perform very honestly. But um, she She's was another well one that I remember well I had to interact with recently. that was easy to play yeah. with. I was like, it's very easy to play off of her. Um, yeah. Very, yeah, she, and Keen can attest to this probably and what, what she was able to do. Yes, yeah, she was, yeah, she was I, great. Yeah, I, I think the whole small town, the, the, the sort of at, at it, the, um, the atmosphere of it, it did bring to mind like stuff that obviously was uh almost a decade after you started making it, but like the mayor of East town and recent hits like that. And, and those, those sort of movies and a bit of sneak love, peek. It's wonderful. Oh yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing stuff. But yeah, yeah. It's uh, but you're, you're, you're that sort of same real, it, it feels very grounded and real, your, your movie. Um, but I was going to say, um, cause, cause you're, you're, you're obviously this is a horror festival. Like, is this a genre that you're all kind of invested in? Uh, or is this like, are you kind of new to the horror, the horror thing? It, it's starting to seem that way for me, anyways. Uh, and Lane, I'm into, I'm into all all types of movies, honestly. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't like stay into in one one camp. But um, personally, it's like my next feature that we just got funded. Um, uh, Something Evil This Way Comes is a 1950s, 60s horror film that makes fun of the 1950s, 60s horror film. Um, oh. You know oh, what I mean? Cool. You know, like the whole, that shooting star was cool, Bobby. <laughs> you know, and out comes <laughs> an alien. And it's ultimately about a newlywed couple and a preacher trying to survive a serial killer couple, not unlike, you know, um, Oliver Stone's uh, Natural Born Killers. Oh, I see. Hunting her on route, hunting them on Route 66, while also being chased by an alien from outer space. And they all just keep <laughs> narrowly missing each other till the end. Kind of thing <laughs> come together. It's a it's a fun one, and it's also a political satire, so it's a little bit of a risk. But that's a horror film. And the one after that's a tiger film. Uh, and these guys are both involved. No, I love a tiger film. film. Uh, <laughs> it's about a poacher hunting. Uh, it's a tiger like hunting a tiger. It's actually about a tiger hunting the poacher. Uh, it's oh, reversal, and it's based on a true story. It's you know that like one. Jaws, but in yeah. yeah, I was gonna say Moby Dick in the Jungle. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, really, it's awesome. Um, these guys are both involved in that one too. But Keen also has this other project he's working on. Yeah, I'm working on I'm working on one that's not a horror film. It's based in. Um, the music industry in the 1970s um and we've been watching a lot of uh 70s b movies like vantage point and breakout oh, wow. um so i think it'll be really really fun that one's called yeah. howdy vanish point vanishing point vanishing point is uh point. is pretty amazing yeah. but uh it's like yeah. the horror films thing it's just like we're trapped in the world of horror sometimes for me it seems like in lane too because lane we're also doing another one we have tons of them, but they all seem to have a horror element to them. I'm like, ah. Oh. Well, Grimfest will that... love you. Um, yeah. <laughs> my audience is a very, very this... affectionate. So. Yeah. Are we this bleak and dark? Is this, do I have any problems <laughs> in the future? I don't know. You know? <laughs> well, the great thing about Grimfest is 
is it, it, it's, it's, I guess the horror gets people through the door, but actually it's more a cult movie with, yeah. the, with, with a horror element. So, so people mm-hmm. aren't necessarily lining up to be, it's not just gorehounds lining mm-hmm. up like some other horror festivals. Yeah, there's people, always a good variety and the audience is a very... Usually the movies smart. I like the best. I'm not, I'm not much of a gorehound myself. I like, I like all the, all the movies. Mm-hmm. All the movies, um, and I tend to get a bit bored of just gore, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like, well, yeah. so I'm I'm loving your movie. I'll be championing your movie. I concur. Um, the exact same. We're I think all of us are the exact same way. Um, probably everybody on this entire chat are the exact same way. It's like overdoing the gore. It's you know, uh, just in my opinion, a lot of times when I see films that do that, it's you didn't have something else to stand on. Yeah. Although I didn't really like Sam Raimi's film. What, which one? What, what is that one? Oh, the Evil Dead. Yeah, the Evil Dead. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's poetry. Of, uh, that's gorous poetry. Yeah, you can do that. You know, that's... I'm a fan of Evil Dead personally. Yeah. I'm also a fan of what he did to get it made, and I was just like, that's that was even inspiration. It's an, it's an awesome like... movie. It's an awesome movie. Yeah, I know yeah, exactly yeah. where you're coming from, Chris. I, I no, I, I don't look. Uh, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of what they did to make it um you know the stories that bruce campbell tells about the hell that they went through to get that first movie made which to be fair you know 25 pounds you know through the production so you literally watch his weight shift in the film (laughs) he definitely lost 25 at least at least we had some time jumps so that it wouldn't be that noticeable you guys 10 years Six years, Ian, six years. <laughs> we thought we were pulling a boyhood and we were doing great. Like, we'll be like the first to do it. And then boyhood came out. They did it like very legitimately over. Real well. Years <laughs> like, like, Man, that was their plan all along. Close. Yeah, it was not ours. <laughs> <laughs> not even close. But it really, really is effective, though. It's, it's like, oh, my God, they, these guys are young and fresh. And I uh, wonder what their futures are going to be like. Their future consists of making that movie. <laughs> no, no, seriously, seriously, I, I'm I'm gonna really uh, really shout about this one. I really love it. Um, Thank you. But um, I think we should wrap it up there and uh, right. let you get on with your, your day, and we'll get on with our watching. Getting awesome. ready for bed. Thank <laughs> you, awesome. guys. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for bringing the movie to Manchester. It's, oh, it's yeah, an honor for, for having us. Fest to it's premiere honor to this movie. Seriously, it's an honor to have you guys Thank watch you so much. Well, we'll I love it. Serious. And, you know, as uh, just to back up what Ian said, you know, there's, there's such a great sense of, of life in the movie. Uh, and um, if actually, if I may add in, the... Uh, I love the the way that the different time periods contrast with each other visually and in terms of the character's mm-hmm. growth and um and and also the the contrast between the New York stuff and the small time setting that they they feel like entirely different worlds in the best way and mm-hmm. I think that that was just all captured wonderfully and also the just the sense of 
of youthful kind of uh, potential and the, the, the romantic possibilities you see springing up things mm-hmm. uh, that made me wistful in in the best way so there's all, right. all kinds of things going on for this movie definitely yeah. Yeah. I, I can't wait to talk hands. to other people that have watched it as well because there's a lot oh, to talk too, about yeah. so obviously we don't want to nothing worse than ruining a movie by being yeah, too enthusiastic no, it really it's... is one people people at home really got to go and see Sunday 10.30am yeah. Wow. AM? It's AM or PM? GMT. Is it AM? Yeah, exactly. GMT. GMT. <laughs> uh, Grim, Grimfest starts <laughs> early in the day, Ian. But you, uh, having done a few Grimfests, yeah. you need the, uh, the early morning films to be great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To just get you awake and um, and to get you in the, the mood to enjoy the no, day. You're going to so love it. It's going to be a great, slot. great start it to the day. It is 10.30 AM on the 10th. Sunday. No, that's cool. Ten. But actually, yeah, we'll be there. I'll watch it on the Beautiful. Big awesome. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank Brilliant. you so much, guys. Cool. Yeah, I'll look forward to seeing you what comes next. Okay, so that was Shot in the Dark. Thanks again to Keen McRae, Chris McMillan, and Lane Thomas for interviewing for us there. And thank you, of course, to Ian for his um his help in all of these interviews and in the general organisation of, uh, of all this. Uh, that was a lot of fun and there are some interesting movies there and obviously the festival features a lot more than just those three films. There are an absolute stack of new feature films there. Um, there are, there's four programmes of short films as well by new filmmakers, including one short film by our old friend, uh, Ryan Kruger, who last year directed the great movie Fried Barry, which we were lucky enough to interview him about for this podcast, um, and then later review the movie as well. He's uh, he's made a short film, which is in their first programme of shorts on, I think, the first day of the festival. Again, uh, details on the website. Also... The guest of honour at this year's festival is the great Dee Wallace, star of horror movies like The Howling and Critters, and probably best known for her starring role um, as the most significant adult, I think, in Steven Spielberg's E.T. She's had an illustrious career, and she's in some great movies, and she's always terrific to see. Um, So it's great that Grimfest... I've got her to to come along to Manchester this year. So there's loads going on. If you go to the website, there's plenty to read about, and plenty of reasons to get involved, either partially or with the whole thing. You can buy tickets to the whole festival. You can just buy tickets for one day. You can select films on a film-by-film basis. Um, And obviously, most of the movies in the festival you'll be able to see, um, you have the option of watching them online at the virtual festival if you can't make it in person. So, that's it for this week, the first episode of And Now the Podcast Starts. Uh, i got to apologise, I think my voice is not in great shape. Um, it's been a difficult time, for, as I've said, for, for most of us in loads of different ways. Uh, me personally... Um, my mum's been quite ill recently and I've been spending a lot of time caring for her. So um, I've kind of dropped out of a lot of my usual routine things. 
Um, but I'm very pleased that we've at least managed to um, to relaunch the podcast when we intended to do. Um, and I, I don't think I'd be able to do that without the help of uh, Ian. So um, God bless him as well. And I know he's been he's been dealing with his own problems, as have most of us. Um, but we're back. Um, so what we traditionally do at the end of an episode, whatever we've been talking about for the main episode, we like to um, end by sharing some recommendations of some horror entertainment that we've maybe found on streaming that we can direct our listeners to. Um, alas, there's not a lot I can recommend because of the situation I've been in with my mum. I haven't really been in a position to go and watch a whole movie. I've been, I've only been kind of having quite brief periods where I can uh, indulge in entertainment. So I've been watching lots of short form things, some sitcoms and, and things like that. Something I have watched that fits that bill is the uh, Marvel series What If that's on Disney Plus, the animated series. Now, obviously, if you're a fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe or the Marvel comics, then you'll probably be aware of this and it'll be right up your street. If you're not a fan of those things, but you are into horror, well, there is a zombie episode, uh, which is um, about as gross and nasty as a cartoon aimed at kids can afford to be, really. Um, so if you want to see all those kind of famous superheroes, Iron Man, Captain America, um, I think the Hulk... Um, Ant-Man maybe, there's quite a lot of them who get zombified and it's fairly unflinching, so that was good fun. The other thing I've been watching that just kept me going throughout uh, my mum's illness so far is I just kept putting the strain on for 20 minutes here and there and I've now worked my way through the whole series. That's on Disney Plus as well and uh, I do recommend that whole show. I think if you if you want a kind of modern day apocalyptic struggle to the death between humans and sort of vampires, that's very much um, kind of takes uh, its starting point from Bram Stoker's Dracula, but is very much seen through the eyes of um, one of its co-creators and executive producers, Guillermo del Toro then I think it doesn't put too much of a foot wrong, really, and it comes to... I've finished watching it now, and it does come to what I found to be a satisfying conclusion, so that's on there. Um, also, just I'm just advertising Disney Plus here. At the moment, Disney Plus is, is um, premiering um, weekly episodes of the last ever series of The Walking Dead. Gotta say, I haven't watched them. I'm still on Series 9. But um, it's it's going up there every week. And also, um, every week you get a new episode of American Horror Stories, the weekly anthology spin-off from American Horror Story. And I look forward to checking that out. I haven't done yet. Um, but those are my two sort of recommendations uh, for the week, I guess. What if, uh, what if Zombies, the episode is called, um, and The Strain, both to be found on Disney+. Plus. Next week, um, I hope to be returning, possibly with some of the other co-hosts in tow, um, with more Grimfest promo interviews. Um, 
I'm not sure what films we'll be covering yet, so you'll have to listen and find out. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed these, and I hope you're tempted to go to the Grimfest website and uh, and maybe book some tickets to see some of these movies. Also, I hope you're tempted to go to our Patreon page and maybe donate a little money so that you can um, experience some of the uh, early access and exclusive delights that we have there. Um, We'll be adding more as we go. Anyway, uh, so that's been the first episode of the second series of Now the Podcast Starts, and I look forward to uh, bringing out more. So thank you very much for listening, and, well, you'll be hearing from us again soon. Bye-bye. You have been listening to And Now the Podcast Starts, produced and released by Ambidextrous Solutions Limited, presented by... T.D. Velasquez and Ian Winterton with special guests Eric Blomquist Amelia Dudley Taylor Turner Connor Boru Jared Rogers Dom Lenoir Keen McRae Christopher McMillan and Lane Thomas Special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music, and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows, and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web, www.andnowpodcast.com for more content and contact details. Or visit our Facebook pages at and now Pod or at Lee Cushing Pod. Follow us on Twitter at and now Podcast or at Lee Cushing Podcast. If you'd like to donate to us, please visit patreon.com forward slash and now podcast. And now the podcast stops.